Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious French Catholic Cafe. We're happy to be here in Lourdes, France on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta. And today, uh, I've got a special co-host, flying sidekick here, is Fra Tom Mulligan. Hi, Deacon Jeff. I'm glad I finally got a, re- a release from some responsibilities to be here today. Well, so. I know on a pilgrimage, it's really busy. There's all kinds of stuff. People think you come and just kind of sit and look at things, but really there's a oh, lot. No. Of <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> a lot of organization. One thing after another, but everything is focused, as we all know, towards handling the uh, the needs of our malads. So. Uh, so you never know who, Fra Tom, who's going to just walk into the cafe here in France. That's uh, right. Yeah, I just happened to bump into a transitional deacon. He's on his way to the priesthood uh, from Holland, right? Uh, this is Deacon Johannes van Vorst. Yes. You know, I'm working on my Dutch. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm slow, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It takes a while for most foreigners. Uh, very good. Now, so, Deacon, you are a transitional deacon. Yes. And you are on your way to the priesthood. It's going to happen in uh, several weeks, actually, on June 14th. Right. So when someone hears this show, this show will last forever, by the way, and so you'll always be a deacon to the Catholic Cafe. But, <laughs> but when most people hear this, you'll be a priest. That'd Probably. be beautiful. I know you're looking forward to that. Yes, very much. Possibility. Very much. Well, we thought it'd be good to have you to come in and talk to us because sometimes we can kind of sort of think that everything is like the way the United States does it. And so I thought we would talk um, today about sort of the future of the church, mm-hmm. right? What we, what we have to look forward to. And I know that you would agree with me that the idea of, of vocations to the priesthood are, are very important. Mm-hmm. G- give me, maybe from a, a, a Dutch perspective, how mm-hmm. important are vocations uh, to, to the church? They're, they're extremely important. Um, so in the Netherlands, we've had, as I said, you know, really rough times. We've had... You know, slight climbing up. It's it's still a long way to go, really. Um, but it's there. There really signs of hope. And in vocations, we've had, I think, in the '90s, especially a new wave of vocations. I could say. Um, now, in the re- in the past ten years, I think it, it's it's been declining a little bit again. So, what we see is that you know we need priests in in our church, and there are still a lot of priests from older generation. But you know, they start to. To leave, right? They have to be replaced. I mean, exactly. You know, they have to let be another his office take. I mean, yes. we've got to have this yes. this ongoing thing. We have to have the continuation of the sacraments. Absolutely, exactly. exactly. So. Yeah, and we have we have actually several priests coming in from um, from all over the world. So Indian priests, African priests, South American. Um, but in the end, you really need priests also from your own people, and you need priests, as you say, you know, for the mm-hmm. continuation of the sacraments, for the Eucharist. For the confession. Um, Amen. And a lot of people, you know, an ordinary Catholic might not realize. Uh, they know that the priest is important because he kind mm-hmm. of, you know, when they go there, their experience at Mass or when they, when they show up at the parish and they're in need uh, spiritually or, or whatever, you know, they go to the priest and they understand that he's there. But a lot of people just kind of assume the priest is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And sometimes they forget and parents sometimes forget that it's good to encourage the, the priesthood, even amongst their own family, their own children, because there's got to be new priests that come along. Yep. There's yep. not like a priest factory no. anywhere. No. I mean, it'd be kind of fun if there was one, Fra Tom, would <laughs> <Yes>. you? <laughs> but there are so many things that are going on right now. I was talking to one of um, the 
uh, Irish priest who was a chaplain for the Order of Malta from Ireland. And he said, I really could not believe that the uh, Holy Week, they were hearing confessions and they thought they'll be there from about 9 in the morning until maybe 10, and that should be the right. duration. Four priests heard confessions solid between 9 a.m. and 8 p.m. <laughs> they never even took a break for lunch or dinner. Wow, there's a lot of sin in Ireland, apparently. Well, I'm there are teasing. people who are... Oh, I'm in, <laughs> Everywhere, no, I, probably. And that's not what you were saying. I recognize... Oh, no, I think... Think about it, though. And he, he said, in the end, he said, if I may be so forward, would you mind telling me what is uh, the reason why you came back after 30 years? And the lady explained, it's Pope Francis. Yeah. And the extension of mercy... And I think that um, there's going to be many more things for priests to do, so we're going to need more priests to do them. So that's um, Amen. You're exactly right. And the idea that uh, it's such a beautiful thing when you see people, uh, you know, presenting themselves in humility for the sacraments because they want the grace and they they know they need the grace. And when you see that, I know as a, a you know as a transitional deacon now, as you're preparing for the priesthood, mm-hmm. it has to warm your heart to realize that there are people that recognize the importance mm-hmm. uh, of the priestly vocation. Yep. Is it something that you feel supported in, in terms of like your family and your friends? Are they, are they behind you a hundred percent or do you have a couple of people saying, wait a second, what are you doing? Well, yeah. So my, my family is, is really supportive of me. And, and there were some aunts and uncles that in the beginning when I entered seminary, they weren't, you know, quite so enthusiastic or sure about it, but you know, now they just, every time they really want to hear how I'm doing and they really want to support me all the, all the way. And also, a lot of friends, and I think most of my good friends were already, you know, Catholics or really like faithful practicing Catholics. So that really makes a difference. Um, they really want to support you then in this in this way. And um, you know, as 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 you were talking about the uh, the confession, I was really thinking, you know, in the Netherlands, the confession has lost so much um, of its just. You know, people don't know about it anymore. A right. lot of people just think it was, you know, it was done away with uh, after Second Vatican Council. You know, the church got away with, you know, I understand. no confession. I, do hear that. I hear the same types of things right. as well. Yeah, so, and also on this pilgrimage here in Lourdes with uh, other young people from, from uh, our group from the Netherlands. You know, I've talked about confessions sometimes. And, you know, they've never really heard just this beautiful message that also Pope Francis is now really proclaiming of this, this loving mercy of God. You know, confession is not something, you know, hard and difficult. I mean, maybe it is, but not only. And it's not it's not a burden, to say, to go to confession. It's something that, you know... Well, it's a loosening of a burden. It's a loosening of a burden, exactly. <laughs> That's so right. It's, it's That's freeing, right. and it's... My it, yoke is easy. You know, <laughs> so much grace poured out, and... Yeah. Well, it's good that, and you know, I I gotta say, it's good that the, you're mentioning it to them and talking mm-hmm. to them. I I know that I talk to folks all the time. And say, well, why don't, why don't, why doesn't anybody preach about this or talk about this mm-hmm. anymore? We don't. There's a lot exactly. of things that we don't hear, and yeah. so that there is a charge though, as you as you're kind of coming forward and and uh, uh, Lord willing, going to be a priest. You'll obviously see the importance of mm-hmm. mentioning these kind of things in, in homilies or when you're talking to kids, because they only know what you tell them. Yeah. I mean, essentially. I mean, yeah. you, you're. Um, it's going to be your responsibility to kind of help help in that process. Mm-hmm. Now, so we, we, you know, Fra Tom mentioned Pope Francis, and, and that was the reason why this one particular woman happened to come back and uh, that, that this uh, priest was speaking to. And, you know, I, I wonder if um, you probably had uh, uh, an experience with, with St. John Paul II, mm-hmm. uh, that you saw something in, in, in that pope that 
drew you to the priesthood? Can you tell us about your relationship with, with, with that newly or, uh, saint there? Yeah, so it's, uh, first, it's, it's an amazing grace that he is a proclaimed saint now. It's, That's right. It's really amazing. Um, so I've, I've seen Pope John Paul II a few times in my life. Um, I was very thankful that I could. And it was, you know, when he died, it, it also made, it made so much impact on me. Just the person he was, the, the kind of priest and the kind of father he has been so much. And I was actually so in, um, it was really, f- yeah, maybe even funny that in finding my vocation was the turning moment was watching a movie about John Paul II. Oh. And um, it was, it's, it's called Carol, A Man Who Became Pope. It's, it's an over three hour long movie, but it's, it's about his life until he is elected pope, uh, which is part of the life that we, you know, know very little about. And I think it was something in that movie that really showed how John Paul II was so much searching for this, this love of God that was so absent, you know, in, in Second World War, uh, in which he was at that time. And that, so to say, in search for that love and in search for being able to transmit that love to other people, he was driven to the priesthood. Um, and that was really what that, that movie expressed. And, and for some reason, maybe that also just made the click in my head why I was so impressed by him always and uh, why he had so much impact on me just just simply from the very person he has been. And it was so after, at the end of that movie, that I was, should say, completely blown away and in tears. And I was like, God, do you want me also to become a priest? And it was... It was for a little bit of context, I was studying aerospace engineering at the time. Okay. I was in my first year. Oh. And uh, I sometimes say, well, it was already, you know, up in the air. But That's right. You were already went, thinking about being with God, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. It wasn't quite high else. enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, w- I was studying and I was living in a student city. And I was seeing the life that's around me that so many people were living. And I was like, is that all that they have in life? Is that, you know, is that all that they're doing? Is that all, you know, what are they aiming for? What are they living for, really? And, yeah, then watching this movie at that, that moment, halfway through that first year, um, yeah. So after, you know, many years of being prepared for a little pushes in the right direction, and then this, you know, was the final switch, and God kind of, you know, grabbed me by the shoulders and was like, I want you to become a priest now. Amen. I wish it was more obvious for everybody, right? Don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yes, Where God absolutely. would grab you by, by, by the shoulders and do that. Well, that's great. Uh, we're going to take a break real quick. But before we do that, I want to remind folks at home that we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski. And this is another great moment in church history. Claire Oferduccio was born in 1194, the daughter of a count and countess. When only 18 years old, she heard the preaching of St. Francis of Assisi and was moved to follow the way of the Franciscan brothers and vow herself to a life of poverty, forsaking all the worldly comforts that her family could offer her. She gave herself totally to God, her eternal spouse. 
Upon the insistence of her friend St. Francis, St. Clair founded the Order of Poor Ladies, later called the Poor Clares. The Poor Clares lived a life of extreme austerity and of absolute poverty. Instead of beds, they slept on twigs with blankets of hemp. The old walls and ceilings were laden with cracks, and the cold and wet weather seeped through. They relied totally on God's generosity to survive. They devoted themselves to prayer in silence. St. Clair's love of the Eucharist was well known. She looked to the presence of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament as her dearest love. She found great strength in receiving our Lord in Holy Communion and spent many an hour in Eucharistic adoration. Referring to adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, St. Clair said, Gaze upon him, consider him, contemplate him as you desire to imitate him. And she took her own advice to heart. Of St. Clair, Pope John Paul the Great said, Her whole life was a Eucharist, because from her cloister she raised up continual thanksgiving to God in her prayer, praise, supplication, intercession, weeping, offering, and sacrifice. There are many miracles associated with St. Clair. Tradition tells of an attack from hordes of Saracen mercenaries who were advancing on the convent. She displayed a monstrance containing the Blessed Sacrament and prayed intently before it. Suddenly and inexplicably, the Saracens retreated. Later in her life, her health began to seriously fail. On Christmas Eve, she was not able to attend Holy Mass at the newly constructed Basilica of St. Francis. Instead, God permitted St. Clair to see the entire Mass in a clear and perfect vision on the wall of her small cell. It's no wonder that for this miracle, she was named the patroness of television. Just before dawn on August the 11th, in the year 1253, St. Clair, foundress of the poor Clares, passed quietly into the welcoming arms of Jesus. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're still in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe talking to Deacon Johannes von Vorst. And so, Deacon Johannes, uh, you were just telling us about our... uh, uh, your, your vocation story, but uh, as as we were here and we had a, a wonderful uh, cafe latte delivered for Fra Tom, we now know that Fra Tom, you actually have to go to an, to another event, another I do. mass. So I you do. have to leave us. I have to leave. You are the first uh, co-host to have ever abandoned his station in the middle of the show, which is okay. It must be all the caffeine. I'm just like zipping all over the place. Well, Deacon, join me in giving him a blessing as he goes about his way. Yes, now, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for joining us, Fra Tom, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to have you back here some more to join us. As a, as a sidekick, your great sidekick. Well, this is a great location, and I've enjoyed the company as well as the refreshments. Well, as you're leaving, then I'm going to continue to talk to uh, Deacon Johannes here okay. about uh, his his future as a priest, but also um, some of his story about um, your your calling. How old were you when you first started to think, maybe I wanted to be a priest? Well, it was already in my teenage years that, um, you know, coming... I come from a, a, a very practicing Catholic family, thanks be to God, and a beautiful family. We were raised really living in the faith and, and trying to live in the joy of the faith. Um, so in the teenage years, it was ready that my parents sometimes would um, 
encourage us to think about, you know, what would your vocation be? Now, see, that's important. We should stop there just for a second yeah. because, you know, it's very uncommon nowadays yeah. for parents to – and I mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but it's very uncommon for parents to really encourage vocations within the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But your parents were very supportive of you. They really made sure also that um, – because parish life in the Netherlands isn't, you know, isn't always so – Extensive. There's not often too much um, offered also for teenagers and so on. So they really made sure that I could go to camps with, uh, with friars and, you know, to places where you could be with groups of your own age together trying to really deepen your faith. And that, that has really played a big role also. Um, and it was also one of the things that really also played a big role was that from a very young age I was an altar boy. I was serving at Mass, and I loved it, always. And in my teenage years in, in, in my home parish, um, we also had uh, several teenagers that were helping in the sacristy work. Uh, so I did that also, and I really loved it. And I remember also my parish priest, when I was about, third, I think, 14. Uh, he was telling me, you know, Johannes, you have to know that I'm praying that you'll become a priest. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And, you know, he only said it a few times, and then he never said anything anymore. But I remember that. Does, you know? Is he still alive? He is, yeah. Uh, do you ever tell him, have you ever told him that, you, that you're on that path? Well, when I finally found the vocation to say, you know, after that movie, he was the first one that I went to. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And so, again, encouraging. So whether it's uh, the, the, the priests, mm-hmm. right, that listen to this program and encouraging those young men mm-hmm. uh, to the priesthood. And also uh, young women to, 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 to go to, uh, to be a nun or to be a sister. Right. What a beautiful vocation or calling that is. But I think kids need to hear that. Yeah. And they, and they need to, to be in touch with people, with like religious and with priests. Right. And, um, I, was, I was just um, also telling somebody else that I've, I've been involved with, with teenage camps for the Charismatic Renewal. And I was for a few years in the organizing team of it. And there was at some point a very deliberate decision that I made to invite several religious of, of um, women and men's congregation to be at the camps and to just participate and also priests to be present. Right. I myself as a seminarian, I kept going also to be present and so that all these teenagers see from up close, you know, that a religious sister is, you know, a very normal person and even, well, even somewhat super, you know, You know, it's interesting you, you should say that because that's another neat thing to, to talk about that we should talk about that when you see a person, you know, a young person who's strong, you know, you're a handsome young man, mm-hmm. you know, but you look normal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have this idea that priests are these sort of people that are rejects that, well, mm-hmm. I couldn't get a job here at the post office and I can't play sports and I'm not very good at accounting or whatever. So I think I'll be a priest, yeah. you know, which is, is not <laughs> what, what yeah. a calling from yeah. God is. But I, yeah. I guess it's, it's encouraging to see, and I'm sure kids really respond well yep. to seeing somebody who they can hang out with who's normal who likes to go to the movies or likes to go out to eat yeah. or likes to play sports and yeah. kind of hang out and be a normal person yeah. but also be a priest yeah. how yeah. beautiful is that yeah it's really it's really great experience also at those teenage camps really because because i've been doing it for several years i know several of the teenagers you know quite well and they know that as you say they can just hang out with me and but i'm you know very consciously becoming a priest and sometimes you see that puzzled look in the eyes of right. you know young people that you meet for the first time or something. It's like, yeah, he is young and he seems rather normal, but you know he's becoming a priest. Like, how does that work? Right. Yeah. 
Well, do you, are you able to answer that question for them yet? I mean, are you able to tell them, like, look, hey, really, this is a re- it's a great place to be. I think in the first place, I always try to just kind of be witnesses, you know, as much as Christ uses me to be to be witness just in in who I am and 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 how I do things and and so on. Because in in the Netherlands, there there's you know some some kind of way of thinking or, or mindset you could say that. Um, you, you shouldn't tell too quickly to people what they are supposed to think because they they're really independent and you know they right. their own opinion. So you kind of have to first convince them just by who you are, and then you can start, you know, telling them things. Yeah, people make the mistake all the time of telling people stuff and then not really living up to what they said. Exactly. I mean, that's something very general for every yeah, for well, every clergy. Well, you you seem like uh, an honest. Uh, young man, and uh, and I would imagine people wouldn't have a problem agreeing with you and understanding. That's true. Again, as you live your vocation, mm-hmm. that's where that's the greatest witness to the vocation. Rather than standing up and telling people, you should all be priests, you should all be sisters, you should all be deacons, or you should all be whatever. Instead of doing that, really just living it, and that mm-hmm. becomes something someone says, you know, I did meet this one guy once who was normal, who was a lot of fun, and he was a priest. I'm kind of drawn to that. Yeah. yeah. Now, you said you, you had this first interest. You started as an altar boy. Mm-hmm. That's one of the beautiful things about our Catholic faith is the liturgy. Yeah. Uh, we were just at a, a, an international mass that had... Uh, you, did you do the count? It was like uh, 14 bishops and yeah, there were four uh, cardinals four cardinals, and I think about 200 priests yeah. or something. Yeah. And there were a dozen deacons there, by the way. I don't you exactly. count the deacons. But, but uh, how beautiful that was. There were 20,000 people there. And when you, when you sit in that kind of a space, it's so sacred and so beautiful. And mm-hmm. the liturgy then just sort of pours out over you. Mm-hmm. It has a beautiful uh, – because it is a prayer. It's, yes. it's, it's the, the – the, the, prayerful work of the church and yeah. the universal church. And yeah. I know that attracts and draws a lot of people. Yeah. Were you drawn to the liturgy? Yes, very much. I've, I've always been drawn to the liturgy, to the Eucharist itself as a sacrament. Um, I even wrote my final thesis on the Eucharist and how a deeper understanding in the light of whole scripture can you know, contribute to how we live as Christians. Um, so it's been on my mind you know, all the time. And, and I really love the liturgy. I love you know, beautiful liturgy also. And, you know, in, in music, in, you know, all the things that really contribute to the beauty of the liturgy. Because I think it's really important because that, you know, it, it, it takes us along and it draws us into this mystery. You know, when all our senses are, uh, are touched in a way, you know, by y- your eyes because of the beautiful colors and your, your smell because of, because of the incense, right. and your ears because of beautiful music that really you know, draws you up into the mysteries that you're celebrating. Well, it truly helps you understand the concept of an incarnational exactly. God, right? Exactly. The idea that, that spirit would take on flesh. Yep. And so then our liturgy it really is, it's a feast for the, the soul, but a, a feast for the flesh as well. Yes. I mean, all the different uh, things, as you say, that, that, that affect us and help us to worship. So I'm glad that you were drawn to that. And I, and I guess folks listening at home, you know, your kids, you want them to be altar servers. If you, mm-hmm. if you really want them to have the opportunity to be up close and to be able to... How beautiful it is as an altar server. A lot of them don't pay attention, but you probably did as a young man, realizing that the consecration was happening like just 10 feet away. Yeah, exactly. And how beautiful that is to, to be, be so, so close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I love that as a deacon. As a chaplain deacon, I stand right next to the priest. Yep. And I could hold my hands out all day long and nothing would happen. And yet I'm standing there while the priest does this. 
And when he says those words of institution, I, you know, I get a little chill still, even when yeah. that happens. And I realize, and the bells ring, and it's like I'm thinking, well, my Lord and my God. Yeah. Right? How beautiful that is. And so if you want to encourage vocations, that's another way is to have your kids be near Jesus. Yeah. Right? A perpetual adoration. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, opportunities for uh, your child, for you. Uh, you can pray for them, but then also you can have them experience Jesus mm-hmm. in the Eucharist mm-hmm. and, and see that he's there calling to them yeah. a vocation to do something. Yeah. He calls to everyone. Yeah. And you, he called to be a priest. Thanks be to God. Yeah, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hope that happens uh, sooner than later, right? We're mm-hmm. hoping that, that nothing comes up because you only got a couple of weeks. Exactly. Uh, but it, it sounds like a beautiful thing. Now, if someone's listening to this program uh, who's kind of thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm drawn to this. This guy seems to make some sense and he's a normal guy. So what kind of advice would you give to a young man right now who's thinking, maybe the priesthood is for me? There was one moment, I think it was uh, about a year before I saw that movie and I was doing a, a gap year. Uh, I was abroad. I was actually in Steubenville, Franciscan University right. of Steubenville. And there was this one evening of, of prayer and it was that evening that I was really asking God, you know, God, what are you calling me to? If you are calling me to be a priest, you know, I would, I would go. If you would let me know, I would go immediately. I, was, I had already uh, uh, done admission for, for aerospace engineering. But I was like, you know, God, I can still, you know, now I can just immediately go if you call me. And then there was somebody, somebody at the microphone read this text. If you stay walking next to me, I will teach you how to serve me. Oh. And that was immediately enough. You know, I was like, okay, God. You don't want to, to show me now exactly in which way you want me to, to serve you. So I think that's also the advice I want to give. You know, it's stay walking next to him. Live with him. Live in and through him. You know, and be, you know, receive the sacraments. Be so close to him that he will show you. Yeah, and when you're, when you're near him and you allow him to show you, exactly. if you're quiet and you listen, yep. he'll speak to you. Yeah. How beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Deacon Johannes von Vorst, in, in, in sharing your, your love uh, for the church, but also your answering and saying yes to God. And uh, uh, now I do want to point out that uh, it'll be sad that you leave the diaconate, mm-hmm. right? But we're happy that you would be joining the rank of the priesthood right. and, 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 and we'll pray for you um, yeah. uh, in, this, in this process. But I would ask you not ever to forget the, the ministry of the deacon, because you'll always be a deacon, yep. even in your priesthood, right? In that, yep. in that you'll just add to your orders, yep. right? So uh, your ministry to the word, your ministry to the altar, and also the ministry of charity. Yes. You know, keep those always in your heart, and that will also help you be a better priest, yes. right? Because inside every priest is a good deacon. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much. Well, I'll tell you what, since we're here in Lourdes, let's ask the Blessed Mother for her blessings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.